Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Harrell, and you're listening to What in the Weird, my podcast in which I talk about runes, animism, modern mysticism, soul healing, and how all of that intersects on my path. My spiritually focused practice is called Soul Intent Arts, through which I help others find their unique paths of animism and shamanism, support their ancestral and spiritual truths, find relationship with spirits of the land they live on, and emphasize social justice through sacred activism. The weekly rune is out, and if you're not familiar with it, check it out. It's a rune cast that I've done for years focused on the runic calendar and current half-month rune. If you're not sure what a half-month is, listen to the early episodes of What in the Weird, or just go read the weekly rune at soulintentarts.com. It's explained at the beginning of every rune cast. So let's see what's going on this week. My crazy awesome news this week is that I finally got to hold my new book, Runic Book of Days, in my hands. It arrived in the mail the other day, and you can see it and my surprised face. I really didn't know that they were coming. It was totally out of the blue. I mean, yes, I knew that they were coming sometime, but I had no idea when. But you can see a picture of them and me on my Instagram, which is Kelly Soul Arts. And I'm really, really pleased with how it was treated. And I'm not just saying that out of some weird sense of obligation. Everybody who worked on this book made a fabulous effort. They did a fabulous job, including tracking down a source for the runestone that's on the cover. Double cookies to whoever can identify that runestone positively. Although my Patreon peeps already know the answer because I told them about the book cover kerfuffle months ago when it first happened. This week, we segue midweek from Ansu's to Rido at 12 a.m. on the 29th of August, to be exact. That's tomorrow, right? The change in narrative as we move through the first set is particularly interesting. We've talked a lot about how when we begin the first et, we're in these cosmic soup energies, just sort of this blend of the giants, Yotnar, then the Aesir, which comes in Ansu's, and from there, we come to Raido, which takes on a far more human tone than we've encountered thus far in the runic narrative, at least according to me, of course. Don't blame this on anybody else. You heard it here. So with Ansu's, we begin naming things. We begin shaping the organization of our consciousness, which pretty much means how we shape our cosmology. When we get to Raido, we begin focusing on how we use those names, that internal organization, to create external connection. So Raido means travel, and it forms our English word ride. In terms of how it's applied, it's the part of our crafting the narrative that we start to take more control. We're not just observing external functions and figuring out what to call them, we're realizing a couple of other things too. One is that we have internal functions and we have to decide how to name those, then whether we're going to share them. The other is that when we know what to share, certain demands are applied to our happy little narrative because of course they are, right? It can never be just that simple. So one of those we're going to talk about this week and the other will be next week's topic.
Rago encompasses how we tell our story, which means managing the mechanics of the story, deciding what's of value, what's noteworthy, how we're going to phrase it. So once we know what we're including in the story, we have to decide how we're going to spin it. What's the focus? What makes it interesting or worth telling, let alone retelling? What makes it relevant to other people? Because let's face it, everybody says we aren't crafting stories for anyone other than ourselves, but most people don't go to the trouble to figure out all these details just for themselves. Or do they? Y'all know I'm a writer. It's the lens I've focused the entire world, my entire life, through from before I learned the English alphabet. I know that sounds weird, but before I even learned how to write myself, I had my mother transcribe stories for me. It, it is, it's the way my brain is organized. So, of course, the ability to sift through that word applying process is a really, really huge deal to me. That's why Ansu's and Brido are hugely significant to me. I mean, they all are, right? But these stand out to me for probably more personal reasons than most of the other runes. From a soul standpoint, it's also a pretty big deal in that the healing story, or the shamanic narrative, as some people call it, is very significant to our time with Rytho. The healing story is the arc of our every life change. In the healing story, you realize some function of your life has changed and it generates crisis. That change, either internally or externally provoked, it's a hunch that something you've been thinking about doing differently or you experienced a trauma that's left you changed. E either way, you're called to approach life differently and you just don't have the goods to do it at the level that you need to. You don't have the people to support you. You lack the skill set. Or you don't even know where to start. But what's evident is you're not going to find it where you are. You have to do something different. You have to create movement in your life. That's Raido. In order to stay a viable human, you seek out the skills or support that you need. And for most people, this means intentionally placing yourself in discomfort, right? Because, I mean, yes, there's, there's been a happy life. Everything was fine. All of a sudden, something changed internally or externally, and it was not fine. You're already in a state of discomfort. The way that you choose to go forward can only be some further enhancement of that discomfort, right? I mean, maybe ideologically you find relief in making a choice in what you're going to do, but the general tone of this point of the healing story is discomfort because ultimately you have to leave a relationship, you got to get a new job, you got to move, you got to undergo some kind of treatment, change your focus of study, get a new teacher, spend some money. I mean, there's, there's some additional layer of effort, of tension that's required of you to go further into how you're going to get this all back into balance. You're forced in some way to realize your predicament and make a life change in order to stay sane with it. When you make such a change, you do pick up new tools. You get skills. You gain supporters, allies, teachers. You have experiences. You might even make money. And along the way of doing so, 
you begin to realize that you yourself are changed in ways that directly relate to the original crisis and probably in ways far beyond that, in in ways you never bargained for. So realizing you've gained what was needed to soothe the initiating crisis, you can now return to everyday life, right? Or can you? That is the question. However, you still have one thing to contend with. And of course, that thing is everybody else. While everybody and her sister may have realized that you were in a jam, that you were having a crisis, and needed to do all this stuff to bring things back into balance, and they may have even supported you in doing that, it doesn't mean that they're going to be comfortable with the new you, at least not right away, right? I mean, have you ever felt that soreness, particularly when you, when the people around you are the ones who kind of sort of maybe shoved you toward enlightenment? And then when you see the light, they're the very ones who can't see you as changed. Or they can't change to accept the new you. As I'm sure you've figured out, there is no smooth part of the healing story because you've lived it. I mean, just listening to me say this is pushing a button or two because you've lived it. Once, twice, probably more. So you go through the healing story, you have the crisis, you realize you can't stay the same, you go out into the world, you get the tools, the teachers, whatever you need, you come back to the everyday and do what? You go back to who you were, what you used to be. It is an option, it's always an option to just go back to the way things were because that's what you know, that's what's easy. But the thing is, eventually you would just have to go through all of that upheaval again or nothing would ever change. And not changing is an option. We don't talk about that in our culture, but it is. Not in the New Age culture, anyway. It doesn't complete the initiation of why you started doing this whole thing. It is an option, but it's not going to resolve the original distress it's probably going to generate a whole new kind of hell. Another option is that you come home changed and you deal with the consequences and rewards of that healing, which is that's completion of the initiation. You rose to the challenge of what created the initial disruption. You gathered the tools to show up differently than you actually show up and did better. That is one hell of a story. And around a campfire, it begs to be drawn out, right? When you have such a life-changing experience, you want to tell that story, yes? But why? Why would we take the time to develop and consciously organize such a personal thing for anybody other than ourselves? Those who know me well know a core saying in my spiritual practice is we don't heal in isolation, but in community. It's actually a quote from one of my books, for those of you who are trivia buffs. And I've developed coursework based on the process of the healing story. Ask me about it. But the thing is, it's true. I'm not just making it up. Our brains developed the way they have, largely because we mimic what's around us. 
our ability to realize something's not working and to have a crisis about it and look externally for a way to do it better, that's what wildlife initially served for us. That's, of course, what the facial features and gestures of other humans served for us. It's called mirror neurons. We observed then that when we acted out, what we saw as a form of communication on Sue's, that whole gestures, mean faces, happy faces, empathy, as it were, as we begin to agree as a group about what those expressions and gestures stood for, what states of being or dynamics that they indicated, we developed language, which is raido, how we tell our story. We made an agreement on what these things would mean. That process really is encoded in us at the deepest levels of our being, individually and socially, which is why the deepest function of the healing story isn't just that we value our own experience enough to shape it into a narrative, but that when we exhibit the theater of our own lives, the expansive hand gestures, the grunts, the growls, the expressions, when we exhibit the theater, theater of our own lives for others to observe, they become inspired to heal themselves. This is the way one story heals a village. There is, of course, a deeper function to the healing story. But, of course, you knew there would be. How we tell our story, right, though, and that deeper function is to decide what of our story we actually share with others. By default, the inverse of that implies there's a part of our story that we don't share. Why? Why would we keep part of our story to ourselves, this human triumph, this victory story? Why would we keep part of that to ourselves? Why would we bear an untold story? Which, by the way, is an excruciating thought for a writer or storyteller. If you reflect on the stories in the Eddas, then you know the many stories that emphasize the roles of a guest and a host both of which play roles in travel. There's a constant tension in these stories between how to function as someone in the role of caretaking someone else, usually a complete stranger, and someone in the role of foreigner being taken care of. There are social and ethical issues afoot, as well as responsibilities on the part of both parties. What does this have to do with Raido? Well... The roles of guest and host, as they're depicted in the Eddas, help us determine our identity in our story. Who we are going through the real ordeal in life is one thing. How we envision that ordeal progresses, how we see ourselves as we are changing real time, how we see ourselves at the end of that change, how we fashion our version of self when we tell that story to other people, that's a lot of selves. We, you just assume it's your, it's your story. You, you're you, right? But which you do you put in the story that's for you alone, and which you do you put in the story that you tell others? Ideally, ordeal itself works out the kinks of ethics, compassion, and responsibility, 
but it may not for everybody. Maybe in your version of your healing story, you're more of a Loki or an Odin, spinning it the way you need to to keep yourself at the center of the story. Or maybe you're a Freya or Scaldi, telling it the way it was, warts and all, because you feel a sense of duty to stay humble. There are countless ways you can make that distinction. Or maybe you don't feel conflict around fabricating a version of yourself for others. Maybe you just can't find the words. We can't just wrestle some concepts or some aspects of self into neat and tidy language. And boy, that chaps me to say that. But it's true. And that leaves parts of us a mystery that we never unravel to ourselves, let alone to anybody else. Regardless, Rido puts the rubber to the road in terms of who we say we are on the outside and who we really believe ourselves to be on the inside and how we bring all of that to the world. However we respond to distinctions of identity, Rido brings that confrontation front and center. That's it for this episode. If you have questions or insights about Raido or need somebody to witness your healing story, feel free to email me at kelly at solentonarts.com. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y. Or you can call in through the Anchor app, which you can download for Android or iPhone. Also, check out earlier episodes of What in the Weird by downloading them from Google Play or iTunes and on a collection of other platforms. And if you get a chance, check out Everyday Animism, which I co-host with a couple of other wonderful human beings who are on Anchor. And if you have Amazon Alexa, add the flash briefing skill, the wisdom of the runes, so that you can get runic prompts and inspiration throughout the week for how to work with the half-month rune on a personal level. You can learn more about me and my work by visiting soulintentarts.com or Instagram at Kelly Soul Arts. I'm Kelly, and this has been What in the Weird. Thank you. Thank you.